Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'd love to hear from you on the ceasefire text line. The number, you probably know it by heart by now. You've only heard us say it about 7,000 times, but if you can't remember it, plug it into your phone. 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to be a part of the conversation with us. Give your business the edge with Gigabit Fiber Internet from Seaspire Business, backed by world-class IT professionals who know what they are doing, and they live right here where you do, in Seaspire country. Check them out online at seaspire.com. Slash business. As always, we're coming to you with you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. You can visit them online at PearlRiverResort.com. Good afternoon, gentlemen. A reminder that at the conclusion of Sports Talk Mississippi this afternoon, you will have Thunder and Lightning on the radio, hosted by Brian Haydad. I'm just going to get it out of the way now so you don't get mad at me when I forget to say it at the end of the show. <laughs> Got it? Good. There we yeah, go. We're good. We are uh, We are all set. We had baseball last night, fellas. Um, talked about a big slate did in we? the SEC. We did. I, we, I, feel, I feel like we had a... Uh, A Hall of Famer stat line, if you get one hit out of three at-bats, you play in the Hall of Fame. So Mm -hmm. maybe in baseball circles, we had a successful night last night. In reality, um, as I always say, thank God for Mississippi State, because, ugh. Is that what you always say? That's what I always say. I always say, thank God for Southern Miss a couple weeks ago. Now, as I always say, thank God for Mississippi State, because again, ugh. Um, yeah, Mississippi State goes on the road, they face UAB, and they get a win. Southern Miss on the road to Tuscaloosa, and, I mean, of all of the games last night in the SEC, and there were some really good ones uh, across the league, um, that was by far the most surprising result to me. Alabama beat Southern Miss 13 to nothing. Just bludgeoned them. Absolutely shocking to me. Yeah. Uh, so that's a tough one last night for uh, for Southern Miss, and I think it's fair to call it a tough one last night for Ole Miss as well. If 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 you are not a fan of Ole Miss and you don't hate Ole Miss because you are a Mississippi State fan, let's just make you an innocent bystander who happened to be watching randomly a college baseball game on a Tuesday night. 
you were entertained by that baseball game. I mean, it, it was like like if you strip all the loyalty away from it, the love, the passion, the hatred, and you just talk about the game, that was a fun baseball game. Memphis got going early. They scored, what, six runs? No, they had a four-run inning early, four runs in the top of the third inning. Led the game off with a solo home run, scratched for a run in the uh, second inning, put four on the board, and they led six to one after three. Then Ole Miss started climbing back. They had four runs in the bottom of the fourth inning to make it 6-5, and then it was 6-6 after five, and then Memphis went back in front 7-6, and then Ole Miss took a 9-7 lead, and they go to the ninth, and things are kind of clipping along. Ole Miss pitching uh, the combination of Sam Tequoyan, and before him, out of the bullpen, it was Cole Ketchum. They had retired nine straight batters going into the top of the ninth inning, and you thought, okay, Ole Miss kind of dodged a bullet tonight. Took a little while to get going, had some big swings. But then Mason Nichols comes into the game in the top of the ninth inning. Top of the order, leadoff hitter, hits a ball off the first base bag. Now, Calarco, the first base, I don't know if he was going to make the play, but he was going to be at the ball. Knock it down, try and get it to the pitcher, occurring, uh, covering it first in time to get it out, maybe or maybe not. So an infield single, followed by a two-run home run, followed by a solo home run, followed by another solo home run, four in the top of the ninth for Memphis on back-to-back-to-back home runs. Whew! And Memphis walks away with an 11-9 to win last night. So, you know, it's... I, I don't... And, and one more thing, one more thing. Memphis approached this as a whole staff night. For the first three innings, they pitched... One guy, one inning, one guy, one inning, one guy, one inning. Had a guy get into trouble, only recorded an out. They go to Chase Kessinger. He gets out of the inning, gets into the next inning, and and then they got a little more serious with the guys that they brought out of the pen the rest of the way. Pieced it together on the man. I think Memphis had eight pitchers that uh, – one, two, three, four, five, six uh, – sorry, I shorted them one. Nine pitchers in the game last night, and they still won. Sorry, Borky. I just uh, want to throw the pitching piece yeah. into who it is. Well, uh, you know, I don't like doing this, but we have to do this. Uh, Mike Bianco needs to find somebody else to finish games in which they have leads. That that's the story of last night. Is th- th- that's not the first time this season, and their margin for error is tiny, and it's not like he's got a plethora of other options, but. He needs to either stick with Tequoyan, as you mentioned, get let him get three more outs. I know that makes things weird because you it's a five-game week, but it happened earlier this season as well. Somebody else needs to finish games for Ole Miss when they have leads at this point. That has to happen. That's a hard decision to make, too. I, I, I say it is. I mean, maybe it shouldn't be. Hey, man, I said on the broadcast last night, so Ole Miss had a two-run lead going to the, to the top of the ninth inning, and, and Keith Kessinger and I did the game. And that was kind of cool in and of itself because Keith's son, Chase, pitched in the game last night and actually pitched pretty well. So that was that was kind of a neat dad moment and for me getting to observe it as well. But I said to Keith when Mason Nichols came in in the top of the ninth inning, this feels like a really important outing for Mason Nichols because, as Borky mentioned just a second ago, he, he has he struggled lately. He's given up some home runs. He's given up some leads, and this is the guy that 
got three unbelievably big outs against Oklahoma for you and got out of a bases loaded jam in the College World Series. But in his sophomore season, it hasn't quite been there. And, I mean, you, you, you worry about the physical piece in terms of just throwing center-cut fastballs, but you can't help but worry about the mental piece as well. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, this is, you know, where a big injury is hurting Ole Miss. This is where Mallets should be coming into games, and, and he, mm-hmm. he's not there. And so, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's a huge piece. When you lose your closer, I mean, not only do you lose – a great player, but you lose that mentality, right? We, we talked about it with, with Landon Sims. You know, when you hear his music, you knew the game was over. Mallet's kind of had a little bit of that air, too. I mean, he's a, a really good closer. So, you know, that, that's tough, you know, mentally when you're like, we got to keep scrapping here. The game's not over yet. Your team knows that, and sometimes they just overplay things. Yeah. And Mallet's wasn't even that guy last year. He turned into an unhittable right. setup man a year ago. He was seventh yeah. inning, eighth inning, and then they handed it to Brandon Johnson yeah. at the end. And another valuable bullpen arm is having to start in game one for you because of another injury. Yeah, I mean, I mean, right. Doherty's good out of the pen. I think it's it's clear at this point that the role he's currently having to play doesn't fit him because he can be really effective in the one that he was in prior and has been and has proven that. So, so that's two guys that are either not available or in a role that isn't this one. And, you know, it's hurting this team right now. But multiple games where where you had chances to win and and you didn't, the Florida game comes to mind. A game that you should have won. Your offense gave you enough. And you, you turn the ball over and, and that happened in that Florida game. And then here you are again. It's, it's a tough decision with very few options, but... They can't keep doing this. Yeah. Tim in Ridgeland sends us a message. and I'm not going to mention the names that he puts on here because I think that would be a little irresponsible on our part. But I will tell you that Tim is pretty plugged in. And, and Tim does not um, – he does not uh, deal in a lot of, like, conspiracy stuff or crazy rumor stuff. And he says there is a rumor – from Ole Miss baseball, that there are a couple of other injuries on the pitching staff as well, and we're talking about guys that are contributors this year. I believe um, independently that one of them is accurate. So we will uh, we will see who is available this weekend on the mound. Um, that's uh, that's tough. And what, so you have limited options. Yeah, I mean, just the number of people there, and and you know, I I had somebody ask me like because of one of the two players that he mentioned. Uh, anyway, I, somebody asked me about that, and like he asked, "Is Mike overusing these guys?" And I said, "When you look at who they are and how much they pitched at Ole Miss, that answer cannot be yes." I mean, these are guys that that have not been stretched for outing after outing after outing after outing. I mean, these are guys that have pitched a handful of games, like in their oldest career. That, that I mean, it's yeah. it's just well. And when you're a pitcher, your job's to pitch, right? And and so are guys getting overused? I mean, m- maybe, but not by design. There is a very finite number of guys that have been able to get outs for this Ole Miss baseball team. And so Mike Bianco is calling the number for the guy that he thinks can go into the game and get outs. 
And pitchers want to pitch, especially when they're relief pitchers. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be back with you just getting started in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Mississippi. Now. Now. Tim from Ridgeland's treat, uh, tweet. I did not hear Mike Bianco in his post-game radio interview, or had not read the um, the transcript of some of what he said in the uh, the post-game. So, Mike mentioned Mitch Morell and Braden Jones with some injuries. Uh, I'm sorry, Tim in Ridgeland mentioned that on the ceasefire text line. Mike in Oxford sent us a, uh, a screenshot of part of the transcript from last night. Mike Bianco said, we had some guys that were down. Braden Jones was down today with a tender arm. He should be back for the weekend, but not tomorrow. Talking about for tonight's game against Alcorn State. Mitch Morrell couldn't go with his back. We were very limited. Morrell has dealt with back issues, and sometimes it's flared up on him where he won't be able to pitch one day, and the next day he's okay with treatment. He's been going through that. So those are the two pitchers that we were talking about for Ole Miss. Those guys that... They're throwing on the weekend, right? Braden Jones has done a nice job. The redshirt freshman from uh, from Jackson has pitched pretty well for Ole Miss over the last couple of weekends, and Mitch Morrell has been the most used guy on the staff this season for Ole Miss. Leads them in appearances and uh, was not available in that game last night. I thought Cole Ketchum pitched really well after a tough start for Grayson Sonye last night. Um, and then I thought Sam Tekoyan was tremendous. I mean, he was he was 93-94 with his fastball and located it really, really well, and Cole Ketchum's changeup was exceptional. So those were two good things that came from the game, but obviously the bad thing is the loss uh, where Ole Miss gives up run. And, hey, Dad, you, you said yesterday we talked about the 7-2 to win over Memphis a week ago, and you were like, yeah, you need to put a 1 in front of that 7 in terms of a feel-good win where you go out and you beat somebody 17-2. to Look. Memphis played well last night, and the, the top three yeah. at the beginning of their order are good, and they had guys that threw strikes, and they didn't chase bad pitches, didn't strike out a lot in the game last night. Memphis played well, and they, they deserve to get the win with what they did in the uh, in the top of the ninth inning. Um, and of course, this sets the stage for Ole Miss to come to Starville and get the sweep, so you know, no, no question about that. Well, um, maybe. I, I guess it's possible they're going to play three games and somebody is going to win all three of them. And uh, if there is a sweep, as we talked about earlier in the week, I, I think we all would be a little surprised if there's a sweep in either direction. Yeah, I would do. But given the way this season is going, would we be that surprised by any outcome? I don't, I don't think That's so. True. Uh, let's press pause on the baseball conversation for 20 seconds. We had a winner for our March Madness Bracket Challenge that was brought to you in part by Pearl River Resort. Got a great prize package. And, Borky, the winner of the contest was... Chad Carson. So, Chad, if you are listening, or if you guys know Chad, uh, tell him to reach out uh, to me in, in any way, because I tried to track you down on Twitter, and uh, that was unsuccessful. Crickets. Crickets. So Chad Carson, you won. Great pick on UConn. Your bracket was like in the ninety-eight point five percentile. I mean, you killed it. Wow. And um, nationally, nationally, not yeah, in our bracket. Great. Nationally. So Chad, 
All you got to do, I mean, text our text line, send me an email, Borky at supertalk.fm. If you are on social media, find me there. All you need is a screenshot of your bracket to prove that it is, in fact, yours. And uh, we'll get you hooked up. But the the seeking you out on Twitter was uh, fruitless. So, Chad Carson, you win. Please reach out to me so we can get you hooked up with golf and food and hotel stay and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some great stuff in that prize package. You had a couple of nights at, uh, at Dancing Rabbit, a couple of rounds of golf, a couple of meals. Uh, we've got a couple of golf shorts for you from, uh, from Genteel. Uh, as well. So just uh, hit us up, Chad, and we will get you your prize package. And congratulations on picking the uh, the national champion. That's uh, that's good stuff. Let's go from, um, from Oxford to Birmingham. Mississippi State gets a win. And as we have said, wins are really all that matter. Um, Parker Stinnett was the starting pitcher last night for Mississippi State. Good news is he did not give up a run. He uh, he was able to work himself out. Is that right? Did he pitch into the third inning? He correct. only pitched two innings. Yeah, two innings. Right. Two innings. One hit. One strikeout. No runs. He threw forty-five pitches in two innings. He walked four. Yeah. So if you're looking for glass half full, he walked four and still didn't allow a run while only striking out one batter. Yeah. Bad news is he walked four in two innings, and that's been the issue for Parker Stinnett this year and, and and last year, not being able to throw strikes consistently. Yeah, and if walked four of the first seven batters he faced, and then, you know, the good news for Mississippi State is nobody walked a batter after that. So that state gets good relief pitching. You know, Evan Sierra comes in after in the third inning and does give up, you know, some runs. But no more free bases for, for for Mississippi State after that. So that's that's a big thing for them. I thought Aaron Nixon and the way he pitched at the end of the game was very uh, very hopeful for Mississippi State. He didn't hit anybody, which is you know that's a change of pace for Aaron over the past few weeks. Uh, but pitched two innings of, of scoreless. Score, I mean, I, there's no getting around that. The guy has is plunk six batters. Um, but with Parker, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just been a, a constant battle for him. Um, and we'll see if he's, you know, able to at any point get, you know, get control of it. But for Mississippi State last night, you know, they got off to a quick start, four nothing in the top of the first, a uh, home run by uh, from Dakota Jordan, who's uh, on a nine game hitting streak. Uh, they got a home run from uh, from Luke Hancock later in that game. Uh, so we're able to put some balls out. Colton Ledbetter had a home run, um, and they just got the win. You know, they they play, played good baseball and got the win. And uh, the, you know they get a couple days off. You know, Ole Miss having an extra game this week, by the way. Not, I don't know what the thought process was there this late in the season to have two midweek games. So State gets the extra day of rest to, to let everybody sit while Ole Miss is playing tonight. Listen to UAB. So this was with Parker's to net. Bottom of the first inning, down four nothing. Walk, single, but interference at second base. And so there's your first out of the inning. Walk, fielder's choice with an out at third. Strikeout. So that was the first inning. A walk, a single, another walk, a couple of ground balls. In the second inning, walk, walk, double play, ground out, end of inning. I mean, that's working yourself out of a jam. Yeah. And he did that a couple of times. Then after that, uh, had a bunch of guys that were, were used. Ciari uh, pitched, gave up a couple of runs. Uh, Brock Tapper worked an inning. 
Tyson Harden worked a couple of innings. Then Aaron Nixon at the end of the game goes two innings, has a couple of strikeouts. As a staff, Mississippi State struck out seven last night. They had the four walks, all of them belonging to the uh, starter, uh, Parker Stinnett. So, yeah, there was some good last night. Only one error from Mississippi State in the uh, in the ball game last night. Borky, uh, clearly the stadium is bigger than you gave them credit for. The attendance was 808. So bigger okay. than the 50 so bigger than, say, that you said held. Yeah. Which yeah. I imagine the overwhelming majority. Or maybe not, but my guess would be state fans were a good portion of that 800. I, I have nothing to base that there on, the, so I, I will. I, there, I there, there, was, there, was some, there was some noise when state was making plays, so yeah, I would agree with that. Did y'all see? I, I know Tulane's very, very bad this year, and New Orleans is an LSU town, so it's not really fair. But did you see the crowd? At two at two lanes baseball field, I don't know what it's called for the LSU game last night. Five thousand was the attendance. It was four thousand nine hundred and seventy five LSU fans. <laughs> I mean, jeez. <laughs> That's. I'm uh, sure they loved the, uh, the 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 gate and the concessions and all that, but I imagine the two lane players didn't like playing a road game at home. Probably not. No. Probably not. Hey, we got a we got a bunch of college football to get to this afternoon. Andy Staples is going to join us. We are in the middle of spring football season. Is there anything that has happened in any of these spring games or off season that has uh, jumped out to him? We'll talk with Andy Staples about that. Hunter Dawkins will join us at the end of the five o'clock hour. We'll talk a little bit about the Pelicans. They've got a big game tonight, trying to advance beyond the play-in game and uh, get into the playoffs. And then Ross Dellinger in the uh, the five o'clock hour. We failed to mention yesterday that uh, the Big Ten, I guess it was announced either late last night or early this morning, that the Big Ten had decided on its new commissioner, and the ACC had extended and I guess given a raise to its commissioner, Jim Phillips. Interested to hear from uh, Ross Dellinger how that worked out on the inside. Because, at least on the surface, I look at this and I'm like, okay, why was the ACC so interested in keeping Jim Phillips. It appears, ultimately, based on the timing of the announcements, that Jim Phillips told the Big Ten no, and then the Big Ten pretty quickly announced its new commissioner. Maybe that was coincidence. There are a lot of people that thought Jim Phillips was the leading candidate, the former athletics director at Northwestern. And just look at what he's presiding over in the ACC And it kind of makes me wonder why he would have been so attractive to the Big Ten beyond familiarity. He had a really good job as an AD at Northwestern. What's he done as a commissioner that has made you think, this is the guy that we want to lead either the richest or the second richest conference in all of college athletics? Is it his role in the alliance of very, very, very good friends? Is it his role in watching the ACC not be able to negotiate a new TV deal and be stuck with the long-term deal that they've got? I'm just curious. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Andy Staples is next. It's time to get real. Real Sports Talk for Mississippi. It's time for you to get real with it. Sports Talk Mississippi continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. 
Instead of a flowery entry, I will just read Andy Staples' bio to you from The Athletic. Andy Staples covers college football and all barbecue-related issues for The Athletic. It's a fair summation. Not a bad bio at all. He's also one of the guys that is must-read in terms of college football. He and Ross Dellinger, for my money, do as good a job as anybody that's out there. We're going to visit with both of them today. Andy, nice to catch up with you in the uh, off season. I hope life is well. Oh, definitely. Life is great, and, and, and I can be the opening act for Ross Dellinger. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, there's like an hour and a half in between you two guys, so it's not like you're going back-to-back. That's okay. There was a time when Guns N' Roses opened for Metallica or, or, or vice versa, and you know, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. Uh, you wrote about Florida recently. That is your alma mater. The off season during the collective time was um, chaotic. I don't know yeah. if that's the right word or not, but that's the word <laughs> I would the use least. with the. <laughs> I think you're, you're underselling it. Yeah, Jane Rashada. So Florida has pressed the reset button. In terms of a collective, explain to us what's going on now in Gainesville and whether or not they're finally going to get it right. Oh, I don't know if they're going to get it right or not because that that actually depends on their ability to raise money and and then you know you still there, there's still the piece of it where you've got to convince the players to come to Florida for football reasons and make sure you pick the right players and and then give them deals. But it is a lot more organized than than what they were dealing with before, where it felt like they had a few different groups and the groups weren't always on the same page. And like the Jaden Rashada thing came about because basically you had somebody say, okay, I'm, I'm going to back this, this deal financially, but do the paperwork through a different collective. And so the other collective does the paperwork for whatever reason, nobody bothered to, to say, wait, our names on this, Perhaps we might be considered financially liable for this mm. if, if the other person doesn't come through with the money. And so that's basically what happened is, is you had somebody say, you know, I realized I said I was going to do this, but no, I, am, I ain't paying that. And then the, the Gator Collective, which was the one that had written the contract for Jaden Rashad, was like, we're not paying that. So they voided the deal. Fortunately for them, they had a lot of stuff written in the contract that, allowed them to get out of it without actually paying any money. And so, but you had this incredibly embarrassing experience for Florida where it looked like they were trying to pay $13 million over four years to a quarterback that, you know, the big dog didn't even really want. Like, it was it was not good for them. So, flash forward to now, and this is something that they'd been, in, they'd been working on something different, but I think the Jaden Rashada thing pressed fast forward on it. And so that the, it come, they come out with they're calling it Florida Victorious. The name doesn't really matter. Uh, they, they all have all these things have weird names, but it is built a little bit more like a almost like an athletic department booster club. You know, you've got a, a, a former development person who had worked at Florida in the booster club as a fundraiser, and then gone on to Georgia Southern and Colorado State in a similar role. And so, and then you got. You know, a more kind of advanced corporate structure. You've got the former right-hand man of Scott Strickland, the, the Florida athletic director, who is now working with the collective. So that probably means there's a little more communication with the athletic department where, like the Jaden Rashada thing, I doubt Billy Napier, the, the, the coach at Florida, knew the financial terms of that deal because if, I think if he had beforehand, he would have been like, please don't do this. Yeah. 
don't put me in this situation. So better communication could help. Is it going to work? I have no idea because just as I've talked with, with collect, people who run collectives at various schools, all of them come back with the same thing. I've got to convince my donors that they got to do this every year, that this is not a one-time and now you've endowed it and it's just going to spit out interest that you pay off of. That's not how it works. It's, it's like the athletic department. They're going to keep hitting you up. And you kind of you, you need a good relationship between the athletic department and the collective. Otherwise, you start competing over the same dollars, and then that becomes a problem too. Yeah. It's like if you wanted endowed, somebody's going to have to write a check for $100 million and hope for an 8% return, and now you got... <laughs> You know, exactly. Big, big, big money to work with on a, an annual basis, but I don't really think anybody's writing a check that big. Is this? You remember when the the story came out that that Texas A and M was kind of folding their collective into the athletics department? It was like everybody was going to sit back and wait and see mm-hmm. how this was viewed by the NCAA. And I don't feel like we've heard much about that since. Well, the NCAA sent them a letter saying, "Hey, you sure you want to do this?" And they were like, "Yeah, we're we're pretty sure we want to do this," but. This thus far, I haven't I haven't seen any deals get written on yeah. on that. Where basically now the it's unique with Texas A and M because the twelve fan twelve man foundation is a booster club, mm-hmm. and it is a completely separate entity from the athletic department. Like nobody who works there works in the athletic department. The athletic department contracts the twelve man foundation to sell football tickets, which is how they get ninety plus million dollars in revenue. Now some of that is fundraising as well but some of that is football tickets. And so they kind of act as a pass-through for the athletic department on, on that front, which they believe allows them to act as a separate entity and say, hey, we're just going to hire these athletes to promote us. But so far we haven't seen any deals through that. Uh, Arkansas has a, a somewhat similar setup, but it, there, there's another degree of separation there. And the thing Florida's trying to do, very similar to the thing Arkansas is doing. It's a fascinating time, and it, and it changes a little bit seemingly every couple of weeks. Visiting with Andy Staples, writes at The Athletic, covers college football and lots of other things, like food. Uh, I'm curious about Hugh Freeze at Auburn, because reading quotes and reading between the lines, I feel like he has already ruffled the feathers of some other coaches. And <laughs> I continue to he see... He never me. does that. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh a little surprised to see Zach Arnett take a, a not-so-veiled shot at him. Um, but Lane Kiffin, I'm fascinated by the fact that he continues to bring up the Auburn situation, whether it's in his interview with Alex Scarborough or in social media settings or other places. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think Lane Kiffin is continuing to mention the Auburn situation from last year that – he, For the same reason that Lane mentions Texas A&M all the time. Lane likes to keep his rivals on their toes. Lane likes to keep the people he has to recruit against on their toes. He, he's not. He, he's gonna. He's gonna needle a little bit, and he he's had quite a few comments about Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. He's had a few about Alabama. Now those are almost all complimentary toward Nick Saban, but he's always bringing up other schools probably a lot more than most coaches do. Which I think is just kind of part of his personality and, and part of the way he does business. But, you know, with, with, with Ole Miss, or excuse me, with Auburn, I think you, you view Hugh Freeze as a, as a guy you're going to recruit against quite a bit. So you, you, wanna, you might want to throw a little shade that way. 
so that, that you're, when people look at it and they say, okay. And then Zach Arnett talking about the, the spring game thing. I had, I had a, a group of five coach text me the same thing when I wrote a column off the, what Freeze said, because I agree with Freeze. I, I think they should be allowed to play other teams in spring games if, if they want to. But, you know, I, I do, I do understand that it is a, a way to tamper probably a little more accurately or at yeah. least, you know, get a cheat sheet for your tampering. But that, that acts like tampering doesn't exist, hasn't been going on for 150 years and is ever going to stop because we all know if they actually cared about tampering, they would make very strict rules against it and would enforce those rules but they don't because all the coaches want to be able to tamper. And everybody does to some degree. Yeah, you kind of you have to. There's there's really especially in this in this environment with transfer portal waiters, you can't do anything without tampering. You have to tamper a little bit or you're never going to be able to get anybody out of the portal. Yeah. Andy, always appreciate your insight, appreciate your time on this uh, this Wednesday afternoon in April and look forward to uh, catching up soon. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Andy Staples from The Athletic. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and make sure that you are a subscriber to The Athletic. His content alone is worth the, uh, I think the last one I saw was subscribe for $2 a month. Uh, it's, it's worth $2 a month, I promise you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. We've got plenty more coming up. As we move through the show on this Wednesday afternoon, we will continue to talk about baseball and kind of turn our attention, even though Ole Miss has a game tonight against Alcorn State, toward that series this weekend. Ross Dellinger is going to join us uh, later in the show this afternoon. What do you make of what Andy said uh, about Lane Kiffin? I've a minute or so until the break. Um, in terms of just needle, 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 needle. You think yeah. that's it? That's what Lane, yeah, that's what Lane Kiffin is. He's a needler. He's, he's an instigator. No question about that. He's been one his whole career. He's the amb- and, and I don't, not that, you know, neither good nor bad, but I mean, that's, that's definitely his personality. There's reasons for the needling. Let, let's really just open up his brain and dissect it. Um, A&M is just buying players. They, they, they can recruit a player and have him committed forever. And then A&M offers more light in the process and the quarterback goes to A&M. I mean, that, that's, Something that has happened. The the Auburn needling is because the head coach at Auburn needled first. I think Lane Kiffin is responding and not initiating with the Auburn deal. Well, and I think Lane Kiffin, I, I stand by what I said yesterday, wants to remind Hugh Freeze on a regular basis that that was his job, and it's now Hugh Freeze's job because he didn't take it. We'll be back. You're number one for sports talk. Anyone? 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 Come on, don't be shy. Sports talk, Mississippi. Bingo, man, bingo. Super talk, Mississippi. Oh, you know this. Yeah. Yeah. May she rest in peace. Sure about the very beginning. We convinced the guy in uh, in high school this song was about passing gas. He, he really believed it. Jeez. <laughs> He's listening too. So if you're out there, buddy, you know who you are. Yeah, we all weren't 
very bright in high school. It happens. Nah, nah, it's true. Um, C Spire text line. A couple of uh, pretty good messages to get to that will spawn some conversation. Also, I got a text from a buddy of mine during the break. And he says, with regard to what I said about Hugh Freeze reminding, I'm sorry, Lane Kiffin publicly reminding Hugh Freeze on the regular that he turned down the job that Hugh Freeze actually got. He says he wants to remind Hugh of that, but he also wants as much evidence out on the web that he can send to recruits as a receipt that, quote, Ole Miss is a better place to be than Auburn, and I'm not just talking, here's me putting my money where my mouth is. There might be something to that. Certainly helps. Might be something to that. Probably also trying to build back some fan capital. Yeah, and he lost he lost a good bit of that. And there are some people, I interact with some, that think that I am crazy when I say that fans are, are not happy, and I, I tell them to find another Facebook group and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, look, time heals everything, and more than that, wins heal everything. Of course. And that's that's all that can happen, and nobody cares if you win. That's the beauty and, and yeah. also maybe a downside to college sports is nobody cares as long as you win. Here you go, ceasefire text line. So depending on what sports talk show you listen to, you get different versions of Kiffin not going to Auburn. One says Kiffin never had an offer, and another says he turned it down. Who's right? Look, that there may be some semantics in that. There may be. The Auburn jobs was Lane the Auburn job was Lane Kiffins to take. This was. Yes. Um, yeah. He ch- he changed his mind. It's disingenuous to suggest otherwise. So whatever other talk show you're talking about is frankly misinformed to the point where where it's shocking or they're lying to you intentionally. Sure. But that's it. Um, this is probably a deeper question than we can address in the next three minutes. It says, what is the best run collective? Compare and contrast Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Hmm. Depends on what your this definition of run is. shadows so much. I mean, it's just, it's just difficult to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't say, well, it's obviously Georgia and Alabama's. They were recruiting like that before collectives came along. So unless somebody, you see somebody take like a big step forward, if Ole Miss or State were to sign a top ten class this year, then you will say, well, obviously their collective's doing a good job. Yeah, and, and when you say best run collective, I mean, there's some there's some objectivity to that as well. Right? I mean, how, how do you judge best run? Like most available capital? Well, that probably puts Texas and Texas A&M and Tennessee and maybe a few others as the best-run collectives. Or or is it doing the best with what you have? Or it's it's, it's how you want to run your collective, too. I mean, like I look at Ole Miss's collective. They clearly want to use theirs to entice players to come from the transfer portal. That's how they're using their collective. Mississippi State is using its collective to try to keep players from entering the transfer portal and keep players in Starkville for an extra year. That's going to be, seems what their mission is going to be. So, And I think both schools are doing a really good job of doing those two things. Yeah. 
And that speaks to a larger philosophical difference in the way you're building a roster, period. And Mississippi yeah, State which has is, largely continued I mean, to focus on high school players. Enormous. Yeah. 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 Um, where Ole Miss has leaned far more heavily mm-hmm. on the transfer portal. And both head coaches have told you why that's their focus. Yeah. Zach Arnett believes starting his recruiting process in Mississippi with high school players, given the success of Mississippi high school players through college and into the NFL is the way to build his program. Lane Kiffin has very publicly said that he believes recruiting through the transfer portal at a place that has not been able to traditionally recruit at the top five to top ten level on the regular, the transfer portal gives them the opportunity to build a roster that can compete with the top of the SEC. I mean, it, like philosophically, it's 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 black and white. It's water and oil. It's California and Arkansas, or pick other any other state in the deep south. But you get what I'm saying. Polar opposites, yeah. and we'll see what well, works. We are in everything else. Might work. as well. Might as well be that way in recruiting too. I guess. Yeah, I uh, suppose so. Four o'clock hour coming up with you. We will continue this conversation. We'll we'll try to do the compare and contrast with the Grove Collective and the Bulldog Initiative. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Here we, here we go, go. Super Talk Mississippi. We had an interesting uh, interaction when we were visiting this morning, kind of talking about what was going to happen on the show this afternoon. I was like, hey, Dad, your boys last night, wow. And he goes, I know, wasn't it great? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> You're like, he goes, they won. So about the Lakers. I was like, no, they didn't. I looked at the score in the third quarter, and they were down like 16 or 17. What was it? Like, I don't even remember what the score sixty-seven fifty-one at that point or something like yeah, that. They, they were they were in bad they're in bad shape. Hmm. Thankfully, the two best players on the floor played for the Lakers and they got the job done. Yeah, well, congratulations on beating a team with its two best players out that you trailed by sixteen two. Its in the third two quarter. best players were not out. Carl Anthony Towns played in the game. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and Anthony Edwards stunk last night, which Ooh, is atypical for him. But out loud. Generally, he's pretty good. Did you think the league was not going to let LeBron make the playoffs in, in what is is going to be one of his final seasons whoa, in the league? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you suggesting yes, million that it viewers. was fixed? R- Richard, you should see. There's a chart out there. I'll try to find it and send it to you. The number of fouls or free throw shots that the Lakers have taken compared to the rest of the league. They have taken hundreds more than second place. Yes, the league is actively protecting the Lakers and LeBron James. Yes, they are. Absolutely. Feels good. Feels good to One. be on the right side of that for a change. Hey, they, for I mean, a you know, change. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Normally, when it comes to like football, I'm on the other side of that uh, that debate. Oh, I thought you meant for a change for the Lakers. 
Oh, no, the Lakers have always, yeah, protect the top No, the machine yeah. keeps the, the, the non-powers in college football down. The machine is keeping the Lakers alive in the NBA, no doubt. I mean, when you have objective reporters, like like real good reporters that cover the league saying, okay, this is getting too obvious, then you've got a problem. You just, you just worry about winning your game tonight so that you're not oh, looking well, back at all the times you made fun of me this buddy, year. And then buddy, my team's still alive and yours isn't. We're not making, that, we're not making the playoffs. I mean, even if we win tonight, it, Minnesota's going to beat us again because yeah. that makes sense. That, that Go-Bear trade is horrible, by the way. I mean, Minnesota, there's a good chance that they miss the playoffs after giving five firsts in like their entire roster to Utah for a center that doesn't play defense. Like, all you have to do to Minnesota is just get out and transition because Gobert is so slow at getting back. You've, you're five on four. Every time, if you get out and run, you've got Minnesota in a five on four because that's how bad he is. And also, he's a, apparently a bad teammate, not a good locker room guy. And you gave up five first round picks to get him when you already had Carl Anthony Towns. Now, Towns stretches who, who is, the floor, but... Who is good? Oh, man, he's special. And he's dealt with a lot. I mean, just really really him, good. Really yeah. good. Yep. That's the difference. So when people talk about, well, the league was better in the 90s. Okay, if you say so. But seven foot wasn't fluidly, consistently making outside shots in the 90s. Like Carl Anthony Towns does. And Carl Anthony Towns didn't exist in the 90s. Oh, yeah, the game's completely different. But it was fun in the nineties. Oh, uh, that was that yeah. was a fun, fun era. For you know what the, helped uh, for the NBA? The greatest player of all time playing in that era. Mm-hmm. That, that that helps. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> that, yep. It it makes things a little easier. Sports Talk Mississippi coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Visit PearlRiverResort.com. Also. Check out Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Their website, dancingrabbitgolf.com. You can book your tee time, plan your trip there. Both courses open. Renovations on the Azaleas course. So much good happening there. Great selection of stuff in the pro shop as well. It's just all really, really good right now at Dancing Rabbit Golf. Dancingrabbitgolf.com. You can, um, you can also, uh, join us on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Yes, hey, Dad, I thought that. Text was in bad taste. Yeah, not everybody needs to join us on the ceasefire text line. It appears. Yeah, no, this guy, put the phone this guy down, has been he's, he's been fine. He's been fine. He just he's not a LeBron Ooh, fan. That yeah, no man, easy. That was that was easy. that was that's not right. too far. That's not right. Um, yeah, six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Give your business the edge. We could give it fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. Check them out online at ceasefire.com slash business. Uh, are you guys going to talk Grizz Lakers or did I miss it? We can. No, we're not going to. I mean, yeah, at least not until not it starts. Anyway. Yeah, Th- that is the matchup that we've got coming. I mean, yeah. the Grizz are the closest yeah. thing to a an NBA team that I've got. Oh, and, and I'm so curious to. You want to add that to the uh, to the Palmer home bet? I'm looking for some wins, no. brother. Absolutely not. Just, just offering. Just offering. No, no. Okay. We're good where we are. Man, I I am so curious to see how the Lakers handle that because Anthony Davis, as skilled as he is, is anti-physical. He doesn't like being physical. 
He's uh, he's soft. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is soft. He's incredibly skilled and can score and is a great player. And he's soft. And the Grizzlies he's are. He's still sore. They're <laughs> they're uh, they're pit bulls, man. The, the the Grizzlies play such a physical and like nasty and, and they they have such an attitude. And I'm curious we'll to see how that matches. If you're not careful, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> straight up. If you if you lose, who knows what Jaw's going to do when the game is over? But um, that that's a contrast in styles. Um, and John Morant, when he's not, you know, bringing a gun to a pickup game, is electrifying. Mike in Oxford, who was very kind to invite you to lunch in Starkville this weekend, you were unable to uh, to oblige because of other obligations that you have. He says, I think I understand Haydad better now. He's a wrestling fan, fake and all flops. He's a soccer fan, which is full of flops, and he's a Lakers fan, home of the king of flops. Mm, he's a flopper. You could say that. But, you know, not an Ole Miss fan who lost five of their last six. What a flop that was in the, in the, in the football season. Ooh. I mean, that's kind of yeah. It's kind of yeah. You're just you're just kind of like recycling old stuff there. Uh, Oh yeah. I wouldn't watch the Lakers if they came to George County High and played. Can't stand Lagroin. Okay, Lagroin. Well, thirty three point five million people watched them last night. So good for you. Congratulations on having twelve million fewer people. Watch your game than watch golf this weekend. I mean, it's it's the play-in game yeah. at nine o'clock on a, on a Wait, Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Wait, be Twelve hard. million people. That's five and a half Mississippi's. I'm just saying. It's, I get it. I understand why there's a discrepancy. When we talked Masters on Monday, our text line was filled with people like with an opinion, and then there was one guy that said nobody watches golf on TV. Just one guy. So clearly we were doing something right by our audience because we've got a bunch of text engaged with the content, except for that one guy. I hope that one guy's listening because I said, I guarantee you more people watch the Masters than any Ole Miss and Mississippi State game. I didn't know who he was a fan of, so I just said any. Turns out that there were like four college football games all, any anywhere, like four college football games that were watched by more people than the Masters. So in your face. And, and one of them was line. the national championship, and two of them were the semifinals, and one of them was the Rose Bowl? Uh, Rose Bowl, and it may be the SEC championship. I'd have to look up the games. It's it's fewer than 10. It's much fewer than 10. I don't think there were 15 million people that watched the SEC championship game. Blowout. I don't know. It was a big number. Nah. Whatever. It was big, but it was a blowout, so that hurts. But, yeah, and so uh, in your face, text line guy. In your face. <sighs> yeah. Ooh. Porky coming strong with the in your face. <laughs> that's a huge number, though, man. I, I mean, that's no tiger, but it, it shows you that the game is healthy and interesting. And I, I, I yeah, and, and the 15 million viewer number was cumulative on Sunday, but it peaked at what was it, 12 or 14 million? It's like 6:30 Eastern time. Hey, whatever. Hey, it doesn't matter. A lot of people watched the Masters this year, and it was good theater. And it could have been better if Brooks hadn't yeah. kind of kind of choked a little bit in the last twenty holes of the day. Then it really could have been epic. But it was great. Yeah, and 
Game is healthy, even uh, even when Tiger is not. Uh, John Rom, good guy, by the way. Uh, he he was asked because the the heritage is always after the Masters, and, and it's a, it's a good tournament, like good course. Players like it because they can go to the beach and stuff on Hilton Head. But well, a lot of guys, if they play well or win the Masters, generally are going to go ahead and pull their names out of of the heritage. That is a very common thing. It's it's not a big tournament. It's an elevated field this year, but generally speaking, the heritage is far more low-key. And Rom was asked, you know, why didn't you withdraw? That's kind of a, a common thing after a major, guys don't play. Or after a major when guys don't play. He said, because I made the commitment a long time ago and, you know, fans and especially kids want to see the Masters champion play. So why wouldn't I? Yeah. Love said that. he tried to put himself in the shoes of kids who might be there this weekend. I think I've got the direct quote right here. Oh, might not be able to get to it right away. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was the gist of it. It was like, I committed to play in this a long time ago. I tried to put myself in the uh, position of the kids that uh, would be watching, and I would think they would want to see the Masters champ, so I'm here. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, it's go time. Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, say something. Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thank Excuse me. I was trying to say thank you for being with us on this uh, this Wednesday afternoon. See what happens to you when you try to be nice? Was I trying to be nice? Well, thanking people. Never be nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. And I, I have been fighting... A sinus infection and the remnants oh. of since mid-January. I just keep on plugging, right? I mean, it's like it's, it's one of those deals where it's like I kind of feel some pressure and some congestion. No, hey, Dad, I don't have COVID. Stop. Mm-hmm. Um, thought about taking a test? Yeah, I'm good, man. Like I, I'm not sick. All right. It's one of these things that I've dealt with forever. And so finally I went to the doctor yesterday. One of the questions that Dr. Dye asked me was, had COVID recently? I was like, no, I haven't. Like, okay. But, but what different? I mean, I have or it? I haven't. Whatever. Say what? Did they not test for it? They didn't test for it? No. Not surprising. Yeah. Because I'm not sick, and I haven't been sick. I got no symptoms you from just anything said related. You, I, you have a like sinus. A, the same sinus fe- infection that I get twice a year and have for the last... Okay. Thirty years. I mean, it's, it's not hey man, atypical. You know, you know me. I'm pretty regular on that. You know, we know the end of the year. It's coming. Yeah. So he's like, "All right, we're going to give you a big antibiotic load and a big, um, big round of steroids. We're going to knock that out." He's like, "But you got to go to the allergist." I was like, "I've never really been allergic to anything other than penicillin and poison ivy." He's like, "Yeah, but you're getting older, Richard." 
Well, he's like, and, and you can develop new allergies later in life. So I got to go through this round of medicine to like completely clear out whatever's left of the sinus infection and junk in my head and make the pressure go away. Hmm. And then like wait a week to get the steroids out of my system so that we'll get a true reading. And apparently this is the deal where they light you up with all the needles and then they test for oh, everything. Okay. So bad. I had that when I was a kid. It sucked. So if I'm allergic to something or some things, what are they going to do? He's like, well, could be allergy shots. I'm like, eh, okay. Because I'm not going to stop doing anything that I do. I'm mean, like, I'm not going to stop being outside. I'm not going to stop playing golf. I'm not going to stop mowing the grass. I'm not going to stop swimming in a lake. You know, whatever. So just got to live with it. You swim in a lake a lot? Sardis, absolutely. All right, I didn't know. Absolutely. Ton during the summer. Bor- Borky's allergies are cowardice and weak-willed men. Yeah, mm. allergic to them. So I don't get to swim in lakes as much as I want to. Although the the public access to the uh, reservoir is, is fun, especially when if you are wearing light-colored clothes and you wish they were darker. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Say that one more time. I was paying attention to three things, and I missed the punchline. <laughs> Say it again. Said so the, the local public access at the reservoir is great, especially if you're wearing light-colored clothes and you want them to be darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but he had an American flag T-shirt that I loved. I loved. And we spent a day on the reservoir, and I wasn't wearing the shirt in the lake or anything, but, you know, my, my trunks got wet, and... Even if you dry yourself off, you're not fully dry. So the bottom fourth of your shirt, when you when you put it back on, when you're driving the boat back, gets a little wet. That bottom fourth of my shirt turned like khaki. I'm good. This is an American flag shirt, and it turned khaki. And I could not wash it out. I washed, I washed, I washed, I washed. Wouldn't get it out. I had to throw it away. And it was a great American flag t-shirt, great beer drinking shirt. And I ruined it by spending the day... At the res. Good time, though. I, I want to play something for you. This is going to sound like self-promotion. I promise it's not. I, I just want you to hear it. I, I actually thought the call was fairly underwhelming. But I want us to talk about Kemp Alderman. But first, listen to what happened. And per, in particular, listen to the the thud, the ping, the pop, whatever it is you want to call it, the crack of when bat hits ball last night. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was literally loud. What a swing. <laughs> oh, gee, I'm sorry. I was. I thought you guys were going to tell me. I just pressed the button so it wouldn't happen soon. Okay. <laughs> and he thought that was our reaction to this. <laughs> Let's try again. This ball has hit a mile. Wow. Six to three. <laughs> he said when he hits it, it just comes off the bat in a different way. 
And I mean, Kemp Alderman hit that somewhere off the scoreboard. Not exactly sure where. <laughs> he saw a lot of pitches. That is some kind of a bat for Kemp Alderman right there. He fights, 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 and he gets the ball up and out over the plate. And we have no doubters, and then you really have no doubters. <laughs> and a loud ping. Yeah, comes in. 479 feet with an exit velocity of 115 miles an hour. All right, so that's ridiculous. That's gone in every park. Yeah. In- including the polo grounds. <laughs> if if not for the face of the video board, that ball leaves the stadium last night. Yeah. I mean, you, you've seen how far the video board is from the outfield yeah. wall. I mean... It, I, it was everything, right? It was it was launch angle and trajectory and bat speed and exit velocity and all of it rolled into one. And I was talking with several different people who said longest ball I've ever seen hit at Swayze. Um, you know, longest to left field I've ever seen hit because there've been some that were hit onto the old tennis courts in right field, including. One from Will Furness's dad, Eddie Furness, when he was at LSU. He hit one into the second tennis court. Oh. Um, we've talked you about some long chill go down my back thinking about that guy. Good Lord. If you've seen Swayze, you know the oak tree in left field. I saw Brad Freeman hit a ball into that tree. It was in a day game. Monster shot to left field. Ball tends to carry at Swayze a little bit better during the day than it does at night. But goodness gracious. Yeah, he's got – I mean, I'm sure on both teams you've got guys that are going to end up at the next level. And, and some guys – and I don't mean single-A, double-A. I mean making the majors. Like Nick Fortes, really, really good college player. But when Nick Fortes was catching for Ole Miss, did you say that guy's going to be starting on a major league team here in a few years? For multiple years. For multiple years and, and playing really, really well. Uh, Kemp Alderman's got – Major League power and ability. I mean, if when you look at Mississippi right now, and, and you had to pick one guy, hey, of of the three teams that we've got here, give me one guy that is most likely to be playing Major League Baseball out of these rosters. I think not answering him is crazy. With what Major League Baseball asks of its players right now, you you might, and he's more athletic than people give him credit for. He runs really well and is turned into a good defensive outfielder. Is he Hunter Renfro from the right side? Hunter Renfro was left-handed, wasn't he? Didn't he hit left-handed? No, he's right-handed. Okay. Well, is he Hunter Renfro eight years later? Does he have that same arm strength? Because that's the one thing that, that when I think of Hunter Renfro, the first thing I think of is his ability to throw those BBs from the uh, from the outfield. But, but that's not why he's playing every day in the big leagues. It's not, but that's like when you say Hunter Renfro, literally the first thing I think of is him just hosing guys at yeah. third and second. Kilt does have a big arm. I, I don't know if it's Hunter Renfro-esque, but he's got would a big Mike, arm. Would Mike Patrick refer to him as a five-tool player? I regret to inform you guys that it's not impressive uh, because the team lost last night. Question on the text line, didn't they lose? And I said yes, and we talked about that, but does it make the hit any less impressive? And he replied, not impressed. 
Yeah, they lost, okay. and it was a terrible oh, yeah. loss, and, and they blew it, and the team is free-falling. It does not make 115 off the bat 480 feet. Ne- not never impressive. been impressed by, by Otani or Trout in his life. Hey, you remember when Dakota Jordan hit one 485 feet in a loss? Also yeah. impressive. Yeah. The, uh, the, the physical feats of strength are, I mean, there's something to behold. It was really cool. Mike says that Kemp hit one out of the stadium to left against Alabama last season. Okay. Yeah. I believe you. I, I don't remember that. I, I don't know if I was at that game or not. I, I don't remember, but he's got pop in his bat, no question. Somebody said you guys are having too much fun. No such thing. We got more coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. It's time for more Sports Talk Mississippi. Finally. Finally. On Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm. Mississippi State has its maroon and white game. Part of Super Bulldog weekend coming up on Saturday. And Brian Haydad had a chance to sit down with the head coach of the Bulldogs. Conversation with Zach Arnett. In four months here on the job, or five months, however long it's been, what's something you've learned about being a head coach that surprised you, that you that you didn't know was going to be the case? It's not quite as fun as just being the defense coordinator. But <laughs> I'm a little offended. It's been several months, and I, as a head coach, I couldn't even get an invite into the podcast. So clearly, oh, I, see where okay. I, clearly right. I see where I land on your totem pole. Of All right. Now, now we're going to be throwing somebody under the bus here, because I... I requested this interview like the last week of February. Don't, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't uh-huh. Revisionist history. Uh, well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're joining me here as, as you're wrapping up. You know, spring practice, uh, spring game this weekend at Davis Wade Stadium. Overall, what's what's been your biggest takeaway about your team from this spring? I like how we've come out and worked every day. You know, mindset to get better. Uh, obviously, it's hard to it's hard to improve if you don't set out every day with that goal. And so we've, we've done a good job of, of uh, you know, showing up prepared to work, willing to learn. Obviously, we're trying to improve our, our schemes on, in every facet of the game. And then obviously you got to go out there and you got to put in a lot of effort. And uh, our guys have done that. And so we got three practices left here, you know, including the, in the spring game on Saturday to conclude spring ball. And so we got to get two good days of work in and get ready for that. And then I think our guys will be excited to, Get out on the actual game field and and play some live football in front of people. You got one side of the ball on offense that's undergoing a massive change, complete workover from what you, you were doing a year ago. Defensively, with Matt Brock and you, you know, sort of the sort of a lot of the similarities. Is that a challenge? You have one side of the ball that's undergoing a huge one eighty, and the other side of the ball kind of knows where they are and knows what they're doing. <laughs> are are you doing this? Are because you're trying to you know, increased viewership or something? Or, I mean, a, a complete 180. I mean, are we running the triple option? Is that what asking. you're saying? I'm just asking. I, it, it well, feels I'm just like asking you, you know, when I watch past concepts and, you know, Air Raid calls it 95 and it's the famous white cross play, and obviously we have a different name for it now, but it's the exact same play. Is that a complete drastic overhaul? At least in the past game. Right. I have a hard time believing, but... But no, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Obviously, we are uh, transitioning to what, you know, most most people would say is more pro-stylish on offense. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's still very heavily air raid influenced the entire, all of the passing 
game in all of football is now heavily air raid influenced. Um, but yes, we feel like we have some talented running backs. We have big capable offensive linemen who can, who can create some space and do some things in the run game. And so we're, we're, uh, implementing some, some different run schemes there. Uh, and so we're getting a lot of good work out of it. And, you know, on defense, that challenges us in ways in practice because obviously you uh, have to defend different formations, different sets, different motions, and then different run schemes. And uh, so we're maybe not playing as good on defense at times because of that, because it gets exposed. And But it also is beneficial to our guys because it they see some stuff too that maybe they weren't exposed to on a daily basis. And so hopefully it means there's a lot of improvement as a football team, but obviously we won't know until we line up in the fall. Coach, you have to remember whenever you do an interview with me, never, not one time have I said I'm a smart person. Not one time have I ever. Well, heard. neither have I. I've never said it about myself either. So, so you know, uh, I, just, I just try to get through. You know, that's that's all. I'm no, doing. no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, you know, playing devil's advocate to everyone who's who makes it seem like, uh, you know. So then, what would drastic be, changes what, are going on in the world? What is the biggest difference between what Mississippi State did offensively a season ago and what they're going to do this year? Well, I think formationally you're going to have much more formation variety, right? I mean, when you if you line up uh, with four wide receivers on, on on almost every snap, right, either two by two or three by one, maybe an occasional empty, and then maybe an occasional twenty personnel where you'd have two backs and three wide receivers, right? You're really talking about about four, four, five formations, and then when you uh, have a tight end in there and different personnel groupings. You get a lot more formation variety, which also leads to some motion variety and how you handle things. Uh, but that, that stuff's only good if you can execute it and actually be efficient in what you do. And so, um, you know, I, I think so. I think probably the spacing of the field, the formations that you're going to get. I got news for you. And this, I would probably challenge a whole bunch of people on this. And by no means am I an offensive guru, but three level flood is three level flood, right? When you got it, when you got a deep route clearing out the top off the coverage, you got an intermediate one and around 20 yards towards the sideline and you got someone in the flat to control the flat defender. Three level flood is three level flood. Whether you're getting to that from four wide receivers, from 11 personnel, from 12 personnel or I formation in terms of how you, how you progress and throw that three level flood is three level flood. So that to me is where I think the, uh, you know, the reporters and, and people can try to make a big deal out of things that past concepts, the, the, the past concepts that have stood the test of time have stood the test of time for a reason. Right. And then, and you see them carried over in every, every style of passing offense, whether you call it pro style air raid or run and shoot, you know, flood is flood. You've got a quarterback who's seen it all in Will Rogers. He, he, he there's, there's not going to be a defense that gets thrown at him he hasn't faced before. There's not going to be a scenario he's not prepared for. What has been the biggest adjustment for him with this new system? Oh, I think probably some of maybe terminology. I mean, that's probably a better question for Will to some extent, but, uh, you know, there's a lot more terminology. Again, if you have a whole bunch of new formations and, and motion variety off of it. That requires a language in order to be able to communicate that or, uh, or signals. And then, uh, when you have some formation variety, 
that does also lead to defensive variety, right? Uh, I will give the teams who spread you out crazy wide and sideline to sideline. There's only so many, there's only so many things a defense can do because of spacing issues, right? If, I mean, if they line up three dudes out there crazy wide near the sideline, every defense I know is going to put about three dudes out there too, right? You got to match numbers. And so it's hard to bring some, some fancy blitzes when the formations get crazy wide. The more, the heavier personnel is or the more the formations get condensed, you can do some things defensively uh, to create some variety for the offense and the quarterback. And so I think Will's really enjoyed the, the intellectual side of a learning a new offense and the things you can do as a quarterback to control it. And then also learning about defense accordingly, right? The, the shells that defenses can disguise and, and pressures they can bring when, when you're in more condensed formations at times. One more quarterback question, but let's talk about a different quarterback. What are we expecting from Mike Wright this fall? What is the role he you, you want him to play for this football team? Oh, the same role everyone else on the team is asked to play, right? If, if there's something that helps us be a better football team and helps win games, you know, guys embrace it. And uh, I mean, we'll, a lot of those things will remain to be seen on how they get played out. I mean. Mike Wright's a, a dynamic athlete who can hurt you running it and throwing it. And if there's a if there's a way for us to utilize that skill set and, and help us win football games and score points, well, that's what that's what our job is to do on the offensive side of the ball. And so uh, it doesn't seem very smart of me to sit on here on this podcast and lay out some detailed plan for the world on on what our plan is on how to use all of our different playmakers. And so I'm going to go ahead and leave quite a bit. You know, in the dark on that. I, I wanted the script for the first game, to be honest with no, you. No, I mean, I, why don't you just ask me for the defensive call sheet too, and and what down and distances we're going to send our blitzes. You feel free to send it to me. I'll, I'll have. I may not understand most of it, but I'll take a look at it for you. No, but it. you'll put it out there for all the opponents to hear. I, too, I, so. I, I, I think I, <laughs> I feel like I'm trustworthy, Coach. I mean, come on. <laughs> Defensively, what's the, what's the biggest difference between you and Matt Brock? Oh, well, we work close hand in hand on a daily basis. Uh, you know, Matt's probably better prepared and, uh, you know, maybe less likely to call an, be, be what's called an angry blitzer, meaning, you know, you give up a bad, give up a bad play. And I was probably had a tendency to be a little angry about that. So, uh, knee jerk call a blitz afterwards. And that can be, that can be scouted and used against you. You know, opposing coordinators can pick up on that. And so, uh, Matt, Matt's about the, you know, he probably made the most organized, detail-oriented guys I've ever had a privilege of working around. I've I've had the privilege to work around some, some really good, good defensive coaches, uh, guys who have, you know, make it have, have tremendous names and reputations. And I think Matt's going to be another one just like that. So I'm excited to see what he can do leading, leading that side of the ball. That is Zach Arnett, unfiltered with Brian Haydad. Personality really starting to come through, self-deprecating, chop-busting, all of it. And, and clearly, he has a great deal of respect for your podcast and its reach by thinking that all of the uh, the coordinators in the SEC will be able to just immediately figure out what they're going to do by listening to you talk and ask questions. I mean... I mean, we we are one of the top five sports news podcasts in this great country of ours. Also, number eight in Vietnam. I have heard that a current True. SEC 
True. athletic director who used to work in this state <clears throat> still consumes media that comes out of this state despite not working in this state anymore. There's probably two, if I had to guess. And I was about to say, I think it's more than one. Hmm. Might be three. Could be. Could be. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. This is a place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Jeff and McComb, C Spire text line. Good interview. Hey, Dad, non-state fan here. Looking forward to Thunder and Lightning tonight, which follows Sports Talk Mississippi right here on these radio stations across the great state of Mississippi that we call the Two Super products. Talk Mississippi Radio Network. Also available online. It's not even my birthday. Yeah. Um, CC and Senatobia. Didn't realize it was pre-recorded, but still, Arnett sounds genuinely paranoid. No. I don't think so. Arnell, he just busted I, I, I my I think chops. he was not remotely paranoid. No. Hmm. He, he and I just having a little fun there. I thought, Jeff I, in I thought, Oxford. I, I, I was laughing. So. Jeff in Oxford. Dang, hey, Dad. Arnett was rough on you. <laughs> he, <was. laughs> he smacked me around. <laughs> I had to throw I, media I relations thought, under the bus there. Oh, I felt bad. I thought when you said to him... Look, I'm not that smart, and he responded, "Neither yeah. am I." I thought he was. I thought he was just going to keep it rolling. He's like, "I mean, did you think that I thought you were?" <laughs> I mean, I thought that's where. Like, I out. thought he was going to really lay he into you out. there. Did not. Yeah, I, I, I never thought you were, Brian. It's fine. So he clearly has a little bit of an agenda that he wants to put out with regard to what mm-hmm. they're doing offensively, where he wants to give you the stop saying we're making a huge change. Yeah, The change is not, and, and I get what he's doing. I certainly get what he's doing. It's not in the types of routes and the concepts. It's the distribution of run pass. Mississippi State played football for the last few years like they were allergic to running the football. It's not going to be the case. I mean, that's what you're asking when you say feels like a wholesale change. Also, just, the addition mm-hmm. of the tight end position. Yeah. You, you remember when we talked to Mike Leach and we asked him about balance, and he, he said, you know, what is balance? You know, he talked about balance being as doing long as you're you doing whatever you works. Yeah, that's balance for him. This is going to be more of what a when, when college football fans talk about balance – that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a little more, you know, not 50-50, I don't think. I think that, you know, there will be some games where the run game dominates. If, if State's getting what they want in the run game, they'll stick with it. And if there are going to be some games where if State's getting what they want in the pass game, they're going to stick with it. But there will definitely be more of an emphasis on the running game, you know, the addition of play-action passes, different formations, uh, use of receivers in the running game. I, I will tell you now that, I, you know, I expect Tulu Griffin to be a guy who gets carries every game. So, as, well, and, and, as Borky mentioned, the tight end the tight end position is going to play a, a big role for Mississippi State. I, I was intrigued by his answer about Mike Wright because it was on the heels of him talking in a way that it felt like there was no question that Will Rogers 
is his starting quarterback. And then he's like, whatever makes us a better offense. So it was like, there's a little bit of both sides of your mouth there about that particular position, but I also don't get the impression that they will necessarily limit Mike Wright to the quarterback position. That's something you know. I, I didn't. I didn't think he'd go into it. I was hopeful that he would. But yes, do they have packages and and, and formations where Rodgers and Wright are on the field at the same time? Uh, things of that nature. But you know, Mike Wright definitely has a big role to play for Mississippi State this year. I think you know in the run game, and and I think they're going to use him. You know that they'll they'll. You, if you, I don't know if you remember when Dak was a freshman, but like everybody, okay, he's coming in to run. So that when he did throw a pass, they were tend, they tended to be open. I think Mike Wright's probably going to get a little bit of that reputation, and he'll have some opportunities in the passing game as well. Jeff and Grenada, he sounds about half crazy. Not sure if that's good or bad. Hmm. He's full crazy. What are you talking about? Sounded like a guy that was comfortable, and it's easy to be comfortable when you are undefeated as a head football coach. Uh, that that helps, but. Did seem very comfortable. I, I told you guys. I said ever since he's became the head coach, the, the, that gruff exterior has melted down a little bit. He's become a little bit more jokey, a little bit more smiling at people. I'm, I, I think he's very. I think Borky's great. I think he's just very comfortable. He's got the top job that he's worked his whole career for, and he's ready to. Uh, he's ready to you know give it its be, his best shot. Lonnie, I love you and I appreciate you. We've got to stop comparing running quarterbacks to Taysom Hill. Mike Wright is not Taysom Hill. <laughs> my, my, Mike Wright, um, although Taysom Hill's speed is, is shocking when you look at like his combine numbers and stuff, the dude can run. But Taysom Hill's physical. You can get it, give him the ball on third and two, and, and he will take linebackers with him. He is good in space as well, but Mike Wright's not going to be give him the ball on third and two, and then when a linebacker meets him in the hole, he's going to drive him three yards backwards. He, he's a speed guy. Taysom Hill's more of a, he's going to put his head down and run you over guy. And the first version of that player was Tim Tebow. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Tim Tebow was Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill was Taysom Hill. Yep. It takes a really special physical specimen to be that. Five o'clock hour, coming up, college football fix. You're going to chat with Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated to start things off and uh, get into a whole lot more with you. Alongside Michael Borky and Brian Haydad in the Pearl River Resort Studio, I'm Richard Cross. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us. We start things off at the 5 o'clock hour with the college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. I'll go to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. From Sports Illustrated, our friend Ross Dellinger joins us right now on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team 
Mississippi Farm Bureau. Uh, hi, Ross. Hey, Richard. How you doing? Good, man. Great to catch up with you as always. Appreciate some of your time. We were talking this morning, uh, kind of laying out what was going to go on the show, and I was like, we didn't get to the, the Jim Phillips Big Ten Commissioner story, and hey, Dad goes, well, that's what Ross covers all the time. We should talk to him. And <laughs> I, I was I was really fascinated by the timeline on this. There were a lot of people that thought Jim Phillips was the odds-on favorite to be the next commissioner of the Big Ten. The ACC made a move to extend his contract. I assume he got a raise. I, I don't know, but you know, pushes it out basically to the end of the decade. And the Big Ten shortly thereafter announces its new commissioner. I'm curious why one, and you can tell me I'm wrong on all of this, by the way, if that's the case. One, why Jim Phillips would have been the Big Ten's number one target beyond relationships, and two, why the ACC was so keen on keeping him. Well, one, I I don't know that he was their number one target. And, in fact, over the last few weeks, while I was just digging into this, tracking this search, it became somewhat clear that Jim Phillips wasn't necessarily the top target. Um, You know, uh, I think – you know, I think the ACC, as far as keeping him, is is mostly happy with Jim. Um, he kind of took over a situation uh, of not his doing, obviously, with their television contract. Um, right. So I, I I think that for the most part they're happy with him. Uh, I would assume that the contract extension was a combination uh, of the Big Ten deal being open. It may be. Maybe there was some courting there, uh, but again, I don't know that he was their number one target. I don't know that he was in a mix of finalists. I, I don't believe he was. Um, I, you know, I um, so I so I think it was a combination of, of that being that job being open though, and in a combination of his contract, you know, running low. I think he had maybe two years left on a deal or something. So um, and, and again, they, you know, from folks I talked to there. They they seem to be uh, pretty fine um, with with Jim and Jim's leadership. Again, I you know I think um, Jim took over a place uh, <laughs> where he's uh, a little bit of a, in a bind uh, of his not of his making, you know, and so it's a difficult position to be in uh, yeah. for sure. Hamstrung, I, I think is maybe the way to kind of describe it, mm-hmm. right? In that that. He's got teams that want more, and I don't know if there's a way for him to get more for them. Well, they're trying, uh, but there's really not. I don't know that there's, uh, of the solutions, I don't know that any will close the gap in any significant way between the ACC and the Big Ten and SEC outside of ESPN fully renegotiating the deal and giving them more money, which is (laughs) – Highly unlikely. Yeah, at, at last check, Disney, who owns ESPN, has an initiative in place to cut five billion dollars in uh, in expense. Doesn't doesn't seem like yeah. giving another, you know, five hundred million or so to the ACC is going to be real high on their priority list. No, and, and I think uh, I think uh, I don't know if it was Jimmy Pataro or if it were over ESPN or if it was the Disney. CEO came out and basically said they're they're going to have layoffs here soon and, yeah. and, and cutbacks, uh, pretty significant maybe cutbacks 
here soon at, at ESPN. And, and then they've come out and talked about how they're going to be more selective uh, with programming and bidding on programming. So it's it's pretty clear that you're you're probably not going to get uh, a whole lot of extra money um, out of the out of the ESPN. And then and then in addition to that. Uh, ESPN is probably going to give the SEC more money for potentially for a a ninth league game if it does happen. Uh, so yeah, there's there's uh, it, you know I think the situation with the Pac-12 is a good indication uh, that ESPN is not uh, is is not as free uh, really doling out cash to conferences. So you just put a qualifier on what you said if the ninth game happens. And I think everybody just assumes that the ninth game is going to happen, and maybe assumes with good reason, but I also think you're wise to use that qualifier because that has not happened yet. It hasn't, at least as I understand it, they have not yet agreed to the nine-game schedule versus the eight-game schedule. They have not. Um this has been a pretty dividing issue in the conference, and uh, it's going on, what, uh, probably a year and a half of debate back and forth and, and argument back and forth between administrators about this. And I think everything's been civil, of course, but uh, I think that there are some strong opinions. And, uh, you know, it's it's like a roller. This thing's been like a, a roller coaster ride because uh, – there has been a, a pretty wide assumption that everybody is moving in the direction of more league games and bigger yeah. games, more value. And so there was kind of an assumption that, num- first of all, you know, number one, the SEC would do this because there's that, that movement. Number two, the bigger programs, you know, the top four, six, maybe top eight of the league want to do this, and they often get their way. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, so uh, there obviously is still some uh, disagreement enough to to stall this thing. And uh, I think you'll probably see it solved at SEC spring meetings or maybe even just before. Um, and, and a lot of it, as I've written, is going to be contingent on ESPN's additional revenue that sure. gives the league for a potential ninth uh, game. And I mean if we're using our brains revenue is what's going to what's going to win out in the end, right? I mean I mean making this a, a a semi-local example, additional revenue is probably a bigger deal for Ole Miss and Mississippi State than it is for Alabama and Georgia, and Alabama and Georgia are already kind of on board with this. Well, uh, on board with with a uh, nine-game nine schedule. No. Well, not not the not the school in Tuscaloosa. No, they made that quite clear. Uh, Nick Saban made that quite quite clear to me about what a month ago or so in his comments uh, about how he believes he's a, he disagrees with Alabama's three permanent opponents in a nine game model, and he believes there's more equity and parity around the league with an eight game model. So you, it, it surprised some folks, uh, but um, that's kind of I an about Alabama, face for him, isn't it? Though. It is. It is. He has talked quite a long, and we talked about that when I sat down with him, is that he, he's he been preaching for more league games for a while, more bigger, you know, bigger games, 
But I think part of it is he does not. He disagrees with the SEC's permanent opponents that they've suggested to him for for his school. And um, I think they're in the eight camp. And if they're in the eight camp, and there's probably some lower-level teams, one or two schools I've heard that are actually in the nine camp. Um, but if Alabama's in the eight camp, then, you know, you it's, it's a fairly split bunch, uh, which it has been now for – over a year, you know, and there's benefits and drawbacks to both eight and nine games, but the SEC knows, the SEC office probably knows that it's going to get criticized pretty heavily if, if they don't go to nine games um, yeah. and, and they don't uh, take advantage of, of their, their uh, you know, powerhouses and, and their power schools. And because one of the things that I think many of the programs in that conference will use is, oh, we, you know, we want to play a fourth non-conference game to get that extra win, and it's just a kind of a weak look. And so they're going to certainly get criticized if they end up going with eight. Ross, we've only got a minute left. Um, our time is always too short. Tell me what we need to know about Tony Petiti. There was a line in your story that said, one college sports insider describes Petiti as safe and solid who only needs to keep the Big Ten train running on time. That feels a little simplistic. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, obviously, he's kind of set up in a lot of ways with the job, uh, with the media rights deal done, expansion. But there are certainly a host of uh, of issues he faces. I mean, from the athlete compensation and the future of the NCAA to scheduling and onboarding USC and UCLA, they don't have scheduling formats. Speaking of the SEC's scheduling format, the Big Ten doesn't have it. So. There are plenty of issues, you know, bringing back together kind of that AD room uh, was a little splintered under Kevin Warren. Um, you know, they, they didn't go as smoothly with him as commissioner. So there'll be some certainly some challenges ahead. But he, he's an interesting guy. You know, he's a TV former TV executive, uh, has made and been over overseen a lot of big decisions and a lot of people. Ross, thanks as always for your time. Next time you uh, talk to Nick Saban, tell him we all hope that he can catch a break in the future. And we're sorry it's been so tough. On him. <laughs> yes, indeed. In Mississippi sports, you'll hear about it first, right here. Sports Talk Mississippi. conversation there with Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. I mean, that's, that's two of the heavy hitters that cover college football today. Andy Staples in the first hour of the show, Ross Dellinger for the college football fixed it today to start off the uh, 5 o'clock hour. This is Sports Talk Mississippi coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Check them out online at Pearl River Resort. Be sure to click on the events page and see about all of the things that are coming up. You can get your tickets online for Sawyer Brown, for Fluffy, and for Jeff Foxworthy, all coming to Pearl River Resort later this spring and into the summer. You can be a part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. You haven't read Ross's story in uh, in Sports Illustrated about the hire of Tony Petiti as the uh, the new commissioner of the Big Ten. It's worth a read. Kind of get some of his background. But he points something out in the story, guys, that is it's pretty interesting to me. Turnkey ZRG 
is a search firm that uh, a lot of conferences and a lot of schools use when they are making high-profile hires. They're not the only search firm that's out there, but they are one of the ones that is pretty highly recognized. And they have been involved with the hire of George Klyovkov in the Pac-12, who did not come from a traditional college athletics background, with Brett Yormark in the Big 12, who did not come from a traditional college athletics background, and with Charlie Baker, who is the former, uh, former governor of Massachusetts, who is now the president of the NCAA. So you've got Klyovkov in the Pac-12, Yormark in the Big 12, You've got um, Petiti now in the Big Ten. You only have two of the five Power Five commissioners that come from a true college athletics background, and only one who has spent the majority of his career at the conference level as opposed to the institutional. Jim Phillips was, what, 17 years as the athletics director at Northwestern. They did a good job. He helped raise the profile of Northwestern football, raised a bunch of money. They built that amazing facility on the on the shore of Lake Michigan. The Ryan family. Now he also had a university benefactor who is a multi billionaire who has given over and over and over to Northwestern Athletics. I think every AD would love to have a person like that at their disposal. The Ryan family. Greg Sankey, though, is the only guy who has been kind of a career administrator at the conference level. Is that good or bad for the SEC? Look, the answer is it's good because Greg Sankey has done an outstanding job as commissioner of the SEC. I do know that, that there are detractors for Greg Sankey that are out there but even the most ardent detractors of Greg Sankey can't look at the job that he has done objectively and not say he's done a good job running the SEC. Just look at the money. It's simple as that. That's his job is to get money into the conference, and he's done that. It makes me wonder, though, about the next hire. And Greg Sankey's not anywhere near retiring, but, you know, we've something we I've said, you know, on this podcast, and I know Borky said it, you know, college football is business. College football is entertainment. You know, it, this isn't, it's not just, you know, sis, boom, bah, let's get out there and, you know, win one for the Gipper anymore. You know, it's big business. It's multi-millions and billions of dollars. you got to have people who are used to dealing with those kind of numbers. And the business world, the entertainment world, are places, and obviously with Charlie Baker, the political world, are places where you're going to find that kind of experience. Yeah. But we say all that. That's not even close to the most interesting thing we just talked about. The idea that the eight-game schedule is still in play is incredible to me. Yeah. For the SEC. It's very recent. Because that's the one, that's the one seven. And in this state, we know who the one is for State and Ole Miss. Means that you know if you were a state fan, it's like oh, where we may end up with Alabama. Or if you're an Ole Miss fan, like oh my gosh, we might get screwed and get Georgia. No. No. You got the egg ball. That's all you got. That's every year. That's that's that would be big for these schools. And I think it allows you to keep 
It allows you to keep your Power 5 games that you have in place. You know, if you're Mississippi State, you don't want to be buying out Arizona State in a few years or buying out Washington State or whoever you're And Ole Miss is playing Purdue and, and whoever they're playing. You don't want to buy those games out because you got nine conference games. It allows you to keep those in place. Yeah. Or you just play the games. Well, somebody's got to get bought out one way or the other. It may have to be an FCS school or a group of five school, but you have four. If you have four games scheduled, you got to get rid of one of them. If you're on a nine game schedule. So, if the line of thinking is it's not done, but the 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 hang up is more money, and they're going to get more money to have nine conference games. My question is, how much more? How much more? And here's why. Here's why I ask that. Because while however many millions more will further separate you from the NC states of the world. But if you're Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, would you rather have an additional conference game which is more difficult for you to win or $6 million, the same $6 million a year that Alabama is also getting? Like, it gets you no closer to the top of your league, but it gets you a more difficult schedule. And with the 12-team playoff coming, people say, well, it gives you more margin for error. Not Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, Arkansas. No, it gives Alabama more margin for error. It's still extremely difficult for an Ole Miss and a Mississippi State to win enough games to make the 12-team playoff. In in the college football playoff era, how many Ole Miss and State teams would have made the 12-team? Is it three? Two from Ole Miss and one from State? Or three from Ole Miss and one from State? Two from Ole Miss and one from State. Well, I guess three, three, because, yeah, the 14-team, yeah, they would have been in. I don't think they would have, right? There's a weird deal with conference champions, and I think Ole Miss only would have made it twice. Either way. So we're talking about four times in 18 seasons of football. That's what we're talking about here. Because nine for Ole Miss, nine for State. So 18 seasons of football, the two teams here would have made the 12-team playoff four times. And you're about to vote to make your schedule more difficult. For what? How much money? And I would love to know, I would love to talk to Zach Selman or, or, or Keith Carter and say, how much money is the more difficult schedule worth to you? Well, and, and so let's just play with the math for a second. If it's an additional $5 million a year, Times sixteen teams, that's eighty million for a ten-year contract. So that's ESPN saying, "Yeah, we'll put another eight hundred million dollars into the deal." If it's ten million a year, times sixteen teams, that's one hundred and sixty million. That's one point six billion additional. I I don't know. But you got to look at it. You know that the revenue matters. You got to look at the school level, you know, because they're going to be looking at what's best for Mississippi State, what's best for Ole Miss. Is it that $10 million or is it being able to schedule a non conference game against a team we can pretty much beat and, and enhance our chances to be in the college football playoff? Yeah, one fewer opportunity to get eliminated from you know, the playoff. And you have to think about it in terms of, you know, you have seven or seven or, or however six or many games it is, you know, nine or eight. And it's, you got a chance for it to be Vanderbilt. 
to be South Carolina, to be Missouri, a team you feel like you can beat most years, or at least it's a toss-up game. It's not always going to be Georgia and Alabama. Right. I'd rather play Middle the Tennessee other side State you have South Carolina, though. You have, well, or you, I would even, or even go for the Power Five. I'd rather play Arizona State yeah. than almost anybody in the South Carolina. I'd rather play Minnesota, who State plays in three years, than those teams. <sighs> But as it, but, but there's as a, a problem fi- right now because the majority of these home games are not Arizona State or Purdue or Minnesota. Right. They are southeastern Louisiana. Right. ULM, Furman. But they're not getting rid South of those Carolina games. State. St- State and Ole Miss are not going to get rid of those games. They're going to yeah, get rid of the be Power two Five of them games. Now. Well, it'll be three. On a nine-game schedule. So, so you're convinced that the SEC will do away with the Power Five requirement if you go to a nine-game schedule? I would think they would, because I mean it's about making bowl games. Yeah, they're going to be like, well, why would we do? Why would we? You, know, you picked up an extra Power Five game. Yeah. Why would you make them play ten? Now, some schools are going to have to. Florida State, or I'm sorry, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky. They're going to have to. Georgia. They're going to have to because that's their in-state rival. What if the network but, tells you you have to? Then, if the network tells you, well, then that's a different story, and then it's going to be. There's going to be some five and seven years in Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Missouri, South Carolina, Arkansas. I think it's a better product overall when you go to nine games. It's better for the fans, right? We beat the drum better all for the, the fans. time about Absolutely, how it is. it's better for the fans. 100%. Right, so, 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 so if we're going to talk about how expensive it is and how hard it is and the in-game experience versus the at-home experience... I just think you got to look at this thing and go, okay, we we got to do something that's better for the fans. In addition, and I mean, are we convinced that all of a sudden the SEC is not going to be winning national championships? I'm not. We'll be back. Well, because the top talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Richard, so, I, just, I just found out my dinner plans have been ruined. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'd, I'd gone to a specialty store today, and I bought some alligator, and I was going to cook that. I found out I only have a crock pot. Ha, ha, ha! Hmm. Nailed it. <laughs> I heard that one earlier today. I can't stop telling that joke. It's fantastic. Thank, thanks for the dad joke. You're welcome. Michael Borky had his heart broken earlier today, and he would like to tell you about it. Uh, after I do okay. that, though, we we got to go back to um, what we were talking about. We will. We will. But I, I think this is important. Yeah, got an interesting text uh, on that. And, and, yeah, anyway, it's good stuff. But today, I got really excited. I was blinded by my excitement because I saw a graphic that said, Breaking. South Carolina versus Notre Dame in Paris to open the 2023-24 season. And I thought, heck yeah, for multiple reasons. That sounds awesome. Just novelty college football game, cool matchup, nice stadium, all that. Europe, it's going to start at like 9 a.m., all good. Like, I'm in. I am 100% in. And then I thought, oh, we get to talk about this on the show. What foreign city do you want Ole Miss or State to play in, and who do you want to play them against? And boom, it is the middle 
the middle of April, and the baseball teams, except for Southern Miss, shout out Golden Eagles, stink right now, and we need something. And that would have been perfect college football content. And then I looked at the graphic again. It's a women's basketball game. Oh. Sacre bleu. It's not a college football game. It's a women's basketball game. Qu'est-ce que c'est le women's basketball? Hmm. I mean, in, in fairness to you, the graphic, the original tweeted graphic, breaking, South Carolina versus Notre Dame in Paris to open the 23-24 season. And then you look at it and it's the South Carolina logo, the Notre Dame logo, November 6, 2023, Paris, France. And see, that's where I didn't look closely at the date. I just saw the logos, the I saw the picture, away, yeah. and I was like, yes, let's yeah. go. I didn't even think, like, wait, the 23 season, they would already have that game scheduled. Yeah. I never thought about that. I got so excited. Yeah. I was blinded. Mm-hmm. College football in the Parc de Princesse would be incredible, but oh well. Mike in uh, Oxford says the Egg Bowl in the Coliseum in Rome. Man, I, I've been, go. I've been thinking. By the way, about I don't that. think the Coliseum is capable of hoping, holding a sporting event at this point. No, no. It's we been... go to Milan and play at the San Siro. Yeah. But I was thinking about that. Like, where could you have a college football game that's not a college football stadium? The Bristol thing with Virginia Tech and Tennessee looked amazing. And I have a friend that went and said you could not see a single thing, but he had the time of his life. <laughs> they do bowl games at Fenway and Yankee right. Stadium. I mean, what are we doing? But but yeah. where is a non-baseball or football stadium where you could host a college football game and it work? Where all is all of the, the soccer. I mean, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is not a football stadium. Right. But I mean, all of the soccer stadiums over there would work. What about here? Oh. Um, you had the Churchill N- Downs. See, Churchill that's what I'm Downs. talking about. Yes. Could you imagine Kentucky how Kentucky cool versus would be? Louisville at Churchill Downs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's Richard. That's mm-hmm. a good job. Good job. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, because yeah, cool. the NHL put set up a rink on the banks of Lake Tahoe. Central Park. Is there is there a hundred yards in Central Park? I of bet there is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like. 100,000 people for a Garth Brooks concert in Central Park. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they put, they put a. I don't know where everybody would stand, though. You have to get some. I don't know how that would work. So could everybody's you, on the uh, sidelines. It's could like you a, tie like a kid's together, soccer game. Could you tie together multiple barges and play a game in the middle of the Mississippi River? <laughs> Somebody falls overboard and gets eaten by a catfish. Well, no, I mean, you would build stands on the outer edges. I mean, it feels like it would be fairly complicated. Yeah. Mike in Oxford says Florida, Florida State at Daytona. Yeah. Yes. But Bristol Auburn, works because the Iron it's the Bowl smallest at Talladega? Track, though. The Iron Bowl at Talladega would be a, a sight to see. It would be like ancient Greece out there. Just decadence. Hmm. Borky, you, you said we needed to go back to the college football conversation. I think so. The, the, the eight games versus the nine games. And look, I, I think the truth of the matter with the SEC and the 14, soon-to-be 16 schools is that the question that you want answered is not yet answerable. They don't yet know how much money. 
how much more money for a ninth game. Hmm. I think they're going to know soon. I mean, you heard Ross lay out spring meetings in Destin as, or, or, or shortly before as kind of the timetable. And look, I, I know I know both of you were dismissed is not the right word, but oh yeah, we'll, they'll do away with the Power Five requirement. Oh, I, I don't. I, that I that's, don't not, that's, that's a, not an opinion I share. I don't think. Okay, that is uh, not I mean, a I, slam I, dunk. That just that makes it tough. Makes it tough for a lot of the teams in the league. But the problem is, like I said, you do have four teams who are just sort of they're 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 stuck in that. They're not going to give up. Florida's not giving up Florida State. And and wouldn't you think that Florida and Georgia and South Carolina and who's the other one? Kentucky. Oh, uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Well, say hold on a second. Yeah. If we got to play Power Five every year, y- you guys should also. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of landmines they have to navigate yeah. there. So. And because we had somebody. Text and say I think Keith Carter and Zach Selman would take the eight and four with that extra money over nine and three without it. And a good reply, I think this is from Haydad. What if that nine and three gets mm-hmm. you to the playoff? That that is, I, I'm That's so curious because that that number is going to leak. I assume is is how much more money they'd make. Is what do you value? Because you're right, and I agree, and I advocate for it. The the fans, game day, all that stuff is getting more expensive. Now it's cheaper to go to the bad non conference games. The tickets are cheaper, stuff like that. Um, if it's Texas instead of North Texas, that game day weekend becomes more expensive for you. And as just a consumer, if you never go to games, you sit on your couch, you'd rather have more games to consume. I, I, I agree with that. Like, I'm on that boat. Yeah. More attractive matchups are better as a consumer. But as, as a fan of your team, what, what do you want? Do you want an easier path to the playoff? Or do you want Texas instead of North Texas on your schedule? Bad example because they're joining the league, but you get my point. Right. The other thing to consider is you're talking about fans and you know making it easier for them. Is it easier to go on a road trip to Georgia or Florida, or is it easier to go on a road trip to Minnesota or Arizona? You know, where they're getting the car most days. Yeah, I mean, I guess that does mean. I mean, there are a lot of people who say, "Well, it's a it's a a trip to the airport, regardless." But there are a lot of people who would say, yeah, no, I'm going to drive to Athens, or I'm going to drive to Gainesville. They don't all have cross one just waiting on us there. Some of us just take make the drive. I didn't say Oxford International. I meant driving to the Memphis airport or driving to the Jackson airport or the, <laughs> is the, it a, the Gulfport airport. Is it Oxford airport. International now? you got well, an international you know, airport up there? I mean, if you got a G550, it is. That's, that's the only way. You've never heard that before? <laughs> oh, <laughs> hmm. Ooh, my abs have gotten. I, you know, even fat people have abs, and mine have gotten a good workout today. I've I've laughed a lot. Hey, so so another thought on the the financial piece of all of this when you when you look at the Power Five game and whether or not you keep that or not. So when Mississippi State, for example plays a home-and-home with Arizona. At Tucson last year, Arizona comes to Starkville this year, right? That's just a Mm -hmm. home-and-home. That's not a guarantee game. When Mississippi State hosts Austin Peay, Western Kentucky, 
they've got to write them a check for somewhere between a million and two million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so if you only have two of those games as opposed to three, you can decide what's most cost effective as well. I mean, Scott Strickland was the one that, that kind of talked to us about this several years ago, and it led to the questions of why are you playing a game in Mobile against South Alabama? And it, it was like the two-for-one deal, and it was to limit the big payout by having two home games but going to their place once in a place where it's like, well, your fans can do that. And we, we, Ole Miss has got and a game State, in Mobile in the future, right? State has they two do. games coming up. We've talked about this. They have, they're have they at Troy and they're at Southern Miss, and those are both one-for-ones. Yeah. Who's going to win out in these Don't discussions, right? Is it going to be ADs and presidents or coaches? It's going to be whatever Alabama and Georgia want. If they ever I come disagree. to a consensus, that's what, what the rest of us will get. Uh, with all due respect mm-hmm. to Zach Arnett and Lane Kiffin, uh, if I'm Zach Selman and Keith Carter, I couldn't care less about what my current football coach tells me to do. Especially, like, especially. Hey, does your check clear once a month? Okay, I'll I'll take care of the schedule. You just get your guys ready. Thanks. Appreciate the input. Go team. Best. The best. Sports talk in the state. It's the best thing. Say that again. We the best on three. One, two, three. We the best. Sports talk Mississippi. Super talk Mississippi. David, yes, sir. I mean, the answer to your question is no, but I love the content of your message. On the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Hey, guys, I'm late. Did I miss 143 teams in 143 days? <laughs> we could do all the FBS if we, if we wanted to. Was it, 130? FCS. Oh, Borky, you want to do a countdown of we FBS all, teams? Yeah, like all 132 or whatever FBS? it is now. Hey, Dad, FCS is 1AA. Oh, that's right. I thought he was talking about like adding the FCS, because I was thinking we already do all of FBS, but I guess we don't. There's still like, yeah, there's like 30 we, we teams. We could break down Mercer and Selah. Throw, throw my Paladins in there. So, in this state. Unrelated to the college football conversation that we've been having, we've gotten multiple messages. And I don't know if Mike Bianco said something about this, or this has just turned into an Internet thing. People saying that Kemp Alderman may pitch tonight some for Ole Miss. Jordan Vera is getting the start. I mean, why not? You know? <laughs> I, I was curious where you were going with that. Why uh, Why not? Apparently he was a pretty good pitcher in high school. Doesn't surprise me. Looks like a good athlete. That's not, that's not, not overly surprising. Most of these guys were. Yeah. You want to yeah, Mangum threw some innings? Decatur? Why not? Rooker threw some innings for State. Put him out there. See what happens. You had Ryan Olenek turn into a pretty good pitcher yeah. for Ole Miss yeah. a few years ago. We are like, oh, where's this yeah. been? Hey, Sports Talk Mississippi. Tomorrow we'll be live at Divinity Equipment and Rental in Madison for their spring dealer days. Come enjoy food from country meat packers, giveaways, equipment demos, and so much more. Plus instant coupons from Kubota. Wait, you, you say cu- food? You guys say coupons or food? coupons? Cool. 
I say coupons, but did you say food? I think you, I think you did. Yes, I said um, food from Country Meat Packers, giveaways, equipment demos, and more, plus instant coup or coupons, depending on what you prefer, from Kubota. Sports Talk Mississippi tomorrow. The Vinny Equipment Rental on Highway 51 in Madison. Oh, I said that's a cool store. The English language is so stupid because it's not coupons, it's coupons. But Cupid is spelt the same way. Well, and that's no correct. Cu- there's no U in Cu- or O in Cupid, just C U P I D. Uh, right, but Coupon is C O U. But still, it's the, the 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 same thing is different. That's that's the English language. Hey, on Friday, Good Things with Rebecca Turner will be live from 2 to 3 at the Laurel Mercantile Yard, or Mercantile. We will be talking about, uh, they will be talking about the hit TV show Hometown. Yes. And Laurel Mercantile and Scotsman Company. Oh, Great stuff there. And, busy week coming up, Garden Mama, Nellie Neal, this Saturday will be in Greenwood. Greenwood or Marketplace Mama. from 8 to 10. <laughs> Come and welcome Spring like with the Garden Mama at Greenwood. Let me finish the read. Jeez, you got a show coming up after this. Zip it. All right. Calm down. The Garden Mama, Nellie Neal, Greenwood Marketplace, weekend gardening this Saturday morning from 8 until 10. Hey, Dad, can you tell me about our friends at Genteel Apparel? Be happy to tell you all about them. They are the official uh, apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Polos, shorts. They've got it all, sportswear, and, of course, their collegiate collection, Mississippi State, Ole Miss fans, and a few other schools in there as well. If you want to look sharp and you want to wear some cool shirts and you're tired of looking like a walking billboard with a banner M on it, maybe you want to talk to our friends at Genteel Apparel. Check them out, genteel.com. I don't have a list of all the stores, but, but that said, if you are near a fine men's clothing store in this state, probably some Genteel Apparel on the rack there. Genteelapparel.com. There you go. And, uh, Borky, if you could remind everybody about Visit Oxford. Yeah, Visit Oxford and hope you don't run into Richard Cross. There's your read. <laughs> also, uh, visit OxfordMS.com. Visit Oxford is a uh, sponsor of the show. We're glad to have them along. Double-decker coming up in a couple of weekends. Yeah, uh, real talk on the double-decker. Marcus King, uh, he is incredible. Put a, a couple of uh, singles out on, on Spotify, and they are just as good as always. I'm telling you guys, if you want to see a good show, that lineup. I mean, the every act, if you listen to them, especially Saturday, country's not really my thing, but apparently Friday night's phenomenal as well, but I can speak to the live performances of the lineup on Saturday, and that is something, if you're a music person and you love especially southern rock music, you have got to see those shows. They're not paying me for that, or they wouldn't have to. You have got to see those shows if you like southern rock music. Did you like country when country wasn't cool? I've never really been a fan. I saw Dirk Bentley live. I enjoyed it. I actually thought he put on a good show. I think Zach Brown is phenomenal live. How do you feel about Barbara Mandrell? Who sang the song, I was country when country wasn't cool? Oh, well. Oh, man, here we go. Ceasefire text line. I just spit my water out and dang near choked. That was funny. <laughs> Another that says, I'm dead. We only hmm. do it because we like him. We had to, we got 20 seconds left, but there's a texter that snitches on Hey That Night when we rip you. We had to remind him, we do it because we like him. We wouldn't rip on him if we didn't. 
We love him. We love our Richard. Yeah. I'm sorry, real talking. I, I just tuned out for a second. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Ah. Some uh, some show that talks about the Bulldogs is coming on next. Thanks for uh, good night. Some hosted. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.